Jordan, how you going? Yeah, I'm nice. I'm nice. Are you nice? I hope so. I think I'm nice. I actually do. do I, I I'm a nice a, guy. You are a nice. Why guy. don't girls like me? Uh, I'm a nice guy. Fuck. Maybe if I just imagine? went into a sorority and fucking killed them all, maybe then they'd <laughs> fucking like me. New car, hackers, new TikTok. <laughs> I live stream a mass killing of attractive women on TikTok. Hey, Chan's not the only one that could do it. Damn. Oh, man, that's Look, so, it's so brutal on TikTok as well. If you're going to be a mass shooter, you got to go for the record, you know? You can't... Because there's so many now. If you're just if you're not even in the top ten, I mean, what's the point? Yeah, are you making news? You're not, are you? Exactly. You're so just following trends at that point. You're a clout chaser, bro. Yeah, you, you got to go for that record. So any aspiring <laughs> mass shooters that are listening to this podcast, go for a thousand. Probably are. There's some incels uh, that definitely listen. <laughs> go no, for no. what's the record? It's the guy at Las Vegas, isn't it? I think he's got. He's just record. like let loose on a festival. Is that the guy? I think he's got the record. Well, be Probably you should not talk about this in terms of sport. <laughs> it was, yeah, true. But I mean, look, it was shooting fish in a barrel that one, wasn't it? Look, a record's a record. I mean, it's true. I mean, is he in the Guinness Book of Records? Because it is a record. I mean, pro- probably not. I'm sure the, the Guinness Book of World Records might leave that one out. But but G, there'd be lists. There'd be lists out there. Most um most violent mass shootings. The guy in Norway. Jesus, what a dark list. Yeah, go on. I think he he got pretty high. You know the one in, what's his name, Anders Breivik? Well, I'd imagine so. If something can come from Norway, what piece of news do you have? What, what do you ever hear about Norway? Nothing. They're efficient. Those are, uh, those, <laughs> the Just Nordic they people. Get it done. Yeah, that, they get, they get right. the job done. I guess he proved that. Yeah. Is that what he was trying to prove? He did write a manifesto. Uh, His was a. Do. They're either they're they're either um, incels, white supremacists, or uh, ISIS terrorists. So his was a white supremacy one, mm. or they're just mentally unstable. The ones that are mentally unstable, I think, have the biggest edge because they're Why? just because they might they would lack any empathy because they're psychopaths. Whereas the others. But I can imagine white supremacists being really good with guns. They seem like the guys who were just like, my dad took me shooting at four. <laughs> Do you think that's white supremacists these days? Don't you think they're also kind of autistic now? What white supremacists Like autistic are? kids that are just on, that were on 4chan all day? See, you're really pushing my knowledge of the average uh, Of the average white supremacist. But... You should know about this. You're white. You should know about the, the supremacists of your race. Where does it, where does the line get drawn from white to um because you're you're a wog. So then a wog's still white. See, it's really weird, isn't it? Because it goes white. No, it, this is Europe. It goes Hispanic. Then it'd go to France. Then it'd be white and Germany white. Then it goes to Croatia and the Baltics and their wogs. And then it goes to Russia again and they're white. What the yeah. hell is it? It's just... Is it the features? Yeah, it's nose and greasiness. If, if you look greasy, you're a wog. And if you have shitty, flaky skin, you're white. But nowadays, you're still white if you're a wog, aren't you? If you're Italian and that, you're not really a different... Are you considered a different race or is it just a different culture? Where does it become a different race? 
Because, yeah, the average Dude, you know Spaniard would look very different to the average uh, Swede. That's what I think it is. I reckon that there's just basically two... Uh, look, obviously there's going to be a lot of ethnologists here that are just going to go nuts at me in the comments. You know what? Fight me. Having never thought about this subject before, I claim expert analysis on this. I think if your ancestors were just mostly Viking or some kind of subsect of Viking, you're white. If your, yeah, if your Anglo. Culture was, yeah, if, if your culture was kind of spread by like the Greeks and they just fucked with the Egyptians a lot, then you're a wog. That's, that's a good, yeah. And you know what else? That's Spain. Because Spain just had all of these Moors coming in from bloody North Africa and, and uh, Saudi Arabia and whatnot. If there are redheads in, um, amongst your people, you're white. Yeah, straight up. I think that's what it comes down to. There's but no... Are there Swedish redheads? They probably yeah, they would be. Yeah, absolutely. I remember yeah. from Age of Mythology. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they had exactly. red hair, Imagine being Swedish and having red hair. Damn, the best thing about being Swedish is being Blonde. like Aryan, yeah. And you're a ranger. Wow. So close. If you're any any redhead Swedes, um hit me up in the comments. I'll I'll give you a shout out or something. I'll feel bad for you. And also, can you just give us a photo of you anyway? I just want to rate your attractiveness. Does the ranginess kind of does it does it make it worse? I want to know. It would. Yeah, I, look. I was trying to give him an out, but yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you on this one, Neil, when you push me into a corner Probably like that. Probably will. I mean, it, it, <laughs> maybe not, but unfortunately. No, well, yeah. Yeah, no, sorry. You just drew the short straw, man. <laughs> but as Neil said, hit him up. He'll console you. He's actually quite good at that. He's good, he's good at giving people. To, I'm a people person. If you started your own podcast by yourself, it should just be called, like, Cutting Slack with Neil. <laughs> I've I've thought about it starting a individual podcast. What would you do though? Is just Answer be you qu- watching well, footy. Well, cuz right <laughs> I don't know about that, but um right now I've got an ask Neil segment on my YouTube channel where I just ask yeah. uh, answer people's questions. Mm. I like doing that now. Well, do people just ask you stupid questions like it's that hat in PE? Some of them. But uh, I, I theme the episode, so I've done Ask Neil about rejection, Ask Neil about career. Mm. Today I filmed Ask Neil relationships. Mm. So it's 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 that it's lighthearted and mischievous. There's some funny moments in there, but I'm showing my serious side as well, right? Which I like. Yeah, it's showing that Neil isn't just about the laughs. There's other layers to him. behind the laughter. Behind the laughter. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. You segment name. I mean, isn't it, that was a Simpsons thing, wasn't it? Yeah, but at this at this point, the Simpsons is just ours. They don't own the rights to that anymore. Sorry, Fox. It was a generational thing, and I'm claiming it. It was our World War Two. We all fought that together. The first ten seasons. After that, Fox can have the rest. Thanks, but, yeah. Oh. And well, even then, really went 10, down. Bleh. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. It was nine. Nine was the last best, last good season, and then after thirteen, it just took a deep dive off a cliff. I mean, yeah, there was. There were, I remember the crazy that thing is, it kind of made a comeback in the late twenties. Have you seen any episodes of season twenty seven, twenty eight, twenty nine? No. There's some good. There's some decent episodes. People say that it's not. It's nowhere near what it was, but it's way better than the the late teens. I wonder what happened. 
A lot of the writers left. Um, no, I know that part, but why did it get better? That's the question. That is, yeah, that actually, that's a good question. Um, but you know what, actually, though? That does, does happen. To, people always say that, like, oh, Family Guy lost it. And it's just like, well, it wasn't that much of a fall from grace. But on top of that, I think that's... It, you know what Family Guy is? I reckon, like, maybe 85% of the jokes, you're just like, that's lame. That went on for too long. That's gross. And then 15% of the jokes, you laugh really hard. But if you see that joke again, you're just like, eh, sure, coming. I think it's just because okay. they're not character-based, so it's not like, yeah, I remember when Chief Wiggum said that. Like, Because it's kind of just like, Peter Griffin, what are you? What, what is your personality? You're fat? Is that it? He's fat and he's an and asshole. he's stupid, yeah. And then there's a talking baby and a, and a dog. It's... It's uh, taken Simpsons and, and just added all these absurdist elements. Yeah, and like the talking and that's the com- Yeah, the comedy is just like, oh, Lois, remember that time I did this crazy thing? And then it just cuts back to it and yeah. it's the absurdity of it. It is funny, don't get me wrong, but I American Dad, have you watched much of American Dad? Recent, no, well, I've actually recently just watched a lot of the highlights on YouTube. I really, you mentioned that. It's really good. Mm. I like American Dad. It's, uh, it's up there. But you know what I think, though? That alien saves that show. Roger. He's, yeah, he's funny. He's a developed character. I think that's, again, the, the whole thing about, like, if you're going to make an animated show, the character universe has to be believable and they can't really delve out of that realm too much. I mean, Stan, wait, I guess, has is to like be an, believable. It has to be believable in that universe. Yeah, okay, sure, sure, sure. I think that's another reason that is an element that is not really talked about with Rick and Morty. People are always just talking about how clever it is in terms of just getting all these scientific theories and melding them into, I don't know, psychoanalysis of relationships. That's a whole... Yeah. Every time I see that, I just always think it's like... And teenage boy humour. Yeah. But but you're, uh, you, you, you feel okay laughing at it because it's, uh, it's layered with so much uh, science. Yeah. And depth. Yeah. I do love... I'm a big fan. I like Rick and Morty a lot. I think... Not Rick season Morty... three. You don't like? Not season three. No way. No. Oh, it, it, it picked it up. There's a really good episode in season three. The one, the something, something Morty date where they, uh, they have this society where Mortys are like African-Americans and Ricks are the white people. Was that season three? What? That was, I'm pretty sure that was I season like three. That, episode. that was, that was probably, that could be the best episode of, that could be my best episode of the, um, of the show. But overall the season I mean, Pickle Rick was so bad. What were they <laughs> doing? They just have to explain the whole I don't... subtext to the audience. I mean, it was just gross. I think... I think what's happening a lot with Rick and Morty, and I could be wrong about this because I don't know enough about the show. I've watched it a few times and I've just been like, you know, this show, every time I watch it, it's like, it is funny, but it's more fun. It's just very entertaining to watch. It's just like, wow, what wacky adventure are they going to get up to this week? That's really the... There's the more to it than, than that. There's depth to it, absolutely. But it's overall, the feeling is not... You know, when you watch The Simpsons, you, you kind of just feel like satisfied and satiated when you watch it because of the joke work is just so perfect. But I think with Rick and Morty, it's just a very exciting thrill ride. It's like, you know, a visual roller coaster, I think. Okay, yeah, I can... Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Um... Yes, it doesn't. I, I would still say Simpsons up the top. 
It'd have to be. Nothing really, nothing comes close. And in all of television, I don't think there's anything that comes close to it. It's just, that's the show. Hmm. Everyone always says, what about science? I don't know, maths, maths season three was pretty good. Yeah, I know, yeah. I'd put that as an equal first with The Simpsons. Yeah, yeah, Ben taught us all what love, uh, heartbreak really feels like. Did The Simpsons ever do that? Really put that Mindy episode to shame. That, um... Fuck, it was something about the Rick and Morty show, though. This is, yeah, I think with a lot of the episodes of Rick and Morty, and I could be completely wrong about this, I think there's like a Dada-esque element to it in that they're trying to prank you. I think the whole thing that happened with Pickle Rick was it was a prank on the audience to see if they could turn that into a meme, and it, it, it did. It became a meme. I think that that's what they were doing there. It was just that's coming up with like such a bad meta. premise. Because, like, have you ever watched... I, I, I'm only assuming this because I watched um, the extra credits or whatever. Of Rick and Morty. The, yeah, like the, the behind-the-scenes stuff. <laughs> There's this fat Jewish guy that works for them that's always just wearing, like, a Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> and he just walked around the office. It was so annoying. I think I've and seen that, so actually. Long. Yeah? I think I'm And he's out. putting on the Mr. Meeseeks voice and the he, whole time. Is he talking about the Pickle Rick episode? I can't even remember because it was so long ago. All I remember is that he was just had this annoying voice and just been like, Hi, my name's Mort. Let's walk around. Ask the front bench what, what do they think about it. The whole, like, for, for hours, just being like, What's your name? I don't know if I want to watch that. That's all thing. That, I'm pretty sure that's what they're doing there. I, I think... If there's one thing that I, I'm certain about, so they're it's fucking the creators. With the huh? They're trying to fuck with the audience. I think. Okay. I think it's just like an extension of... Because it just, you know, like that Andy... No, not Andy Wolf. Andy Kaufman. I think it's just an extension of Andy Kaufman's work. He really pioneered that in the 70s of just like going on stage to be a comedian, but just standing on stage and just like crying and just being like, this is my first time I've ever been on here and making the audience feel really uncomfortable. So the joke was on the audience. I think they might be like I, I think they're fans of that because like when I see them do like work that isn't specifically yeah, okay. on Rick and Morty it's just like it's so intentionally bad <laughs> like there's no way that the people that came up with Rick and Morty are that stupid yeah you're right it was a very bad episode I, I hate that I hate I've talked about that with comedy as well the comedians that specifically are trying not to be funny in order to be funny or in some kind of pseudo avant-garde kind of way. It doesn't resonate with me at all. And I agree. I think that it's different when you have like a global smash hit. I think that's funny. Just like, and yeah, like intentionally trying to lose your audience. <laughs> um, look, I'll, I'll, I'll look into this a bit more. I'll see what this, uh, this guy in the Hawaiian shirt you look into that actually. Tells I, me yeah. about yeah their um mentality behind some of those early episodes in season three, but maybe he's just a very bad. annoying man. I don't know, but I think he's intentionally being annoying. Okay, interesting. All right. Well, dude, well, that's cool to know because I didn't, I I don't delve into the world of Rick and Morty too much. What I've seen, I've liked of it, so it's nice to see people's like perspectives on seasons and whatnot. Because it's just yeah. it's always the funnest thing about any TV show, isn't it? It's like, it would go really disappointing after that fourth season. That's yeah. the best. True. 
So far, season four is really good. They've released half of them. Really? Yeah. It was so good. Great. I like it. I'm happy to hear that, actually, because really nothing's really held the baton after The Simpsons. And look, I, it's an impossible task. You can't. But Rick and Morty has got the closest, I think. People say, what Some about recent... Futurama? But, huh? No, Futurama never, was never as good as The Simpsons. No. It was good. Yeah. I liked it. Yeah, exactly. But it yeah. just did not have the same... Uh, just didn't have the same depth to it, yeah. first of all. South Park, some of the later seasons of South Park were really good. So from sort of season 16 up till now. Oh, you liked them? I like those ones, yeah. Where there's more of a through line with the narrative and they're really taking apart PC culture. Well, of course I like it then. <laughs> um, but they do it in a very they do it in a clever way. I like it. Yeah, that that is the... the... It definitely went in that direction. I don't know, man. I'm just, I'm just really immature like that in my taste. But like, I really liked the first four seasons of South Park, where it was just farts. You're fat, Cartman. You're a faggot. You're a Jew. Kenny just dying. That. Yeah, just brutally dying. The lowest potty, rude, crude humor was. Dude, I just really think that like, yeah, there's like there's there's I like how I like how satire is able to talk about touchy issues and whatnot. That's a, a great superpower of it. But I really think the raw elements of humor is just like someone doing a shit, or someone like, you know, just walking in on someone getting a blowjob or something. That's. <laughs> I think it's just the same with Jackass, Maybe. Man. Jackass was... Did that make you laugh? Jackass made me laugh, yeah. I, I don't... I'm fine. Like I'm fine with laughing with really lowbrow humour as long <laughs> as it's not held up as clever or critically acclaimed and it's some sort of ironic lowbrow humour or anything like that. No, it's, if it's straight, just, unashamed sure. lowbrow. No, nah, I like that. I'll always yeah. laugh at that. Yeah. always laugh at a good dick joke. <laughs> who who wouldn't you know but let's uh okay so let's get into the meat of this podcast i want to talk about various phrases that pop up quite consistently when it yeah. comes to political and cultural discourse which i think don't actually mean anything or if they do there's a very vague or subjective meaning just to the person talking about them uh-huh so I've made a list. Yeah. So the first one being family values. Mm-hmm. What does that Good even start. mean? I, I, as far as I'm aware, it's just people who have families or who are religious and just want to feel as though families are appreciated in society. But there's no, as far as I'm aware, there's no actual policy prescription that comes with the term family values. Is there? Because a lot of people talk about that. Oh, what's important to you? Oh, family values. Well, I mean, oh, what does that mean? Case in point, Barnaby Joyce. He ran well, on family values for what twenty election cycles. Yeah, and what does it mean? Nothing, because he had a second fucking family. It, yeah, well, maybe he just well, really just a, likes families. It's just a dog whistle or something to conservatives. I don't know, but it's uh. Dude, I really think it's just, it's just people that just don't think about politics at all. It's a dot whistle to them. It's just like, do you like your family? Yeah. Well, then I like my family. Oh, well, we've got something in common. 
But I a lot of people, when you, when you, when people get interviewed or when people who uh, could be reasonably apolitical or not uh, well-versed in uh, the details of certain policies, when you ask them what's important to you, a lot of people, especially America, will say family values. What do they mean? What, are, what, do, what do you think the average person who says family values are important to me, what do you think they're talking about? I was, I'm trying to think about it, and as far as I'm aware, I think they just want to feel as though the culture respects and admires families and maybe when you look at pop culture and media especially pop music for example you get a sense that there's too much hedonism going on and maybe when people say family values they somehow want the government to put more uh, wholesome content out there as opposed to right what is seen on tv and 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 music i think that might be what it i'm just speculating here i don't actually know so ideally, the only thing that they want government to do is just make sure that Seventh Heaven is played on every channel. I'm just, I, I'm, I don't know. I don't know. But well, that makes sense. I'm just, I'm speculating. I don't actually know because, yeah, look, if you've got kids, you don't want, you don't want them to be exposed to too much too early. Man, if you if you are voting on family values, I just know this about it. I know this. You are not a deep thinker. There's I, no way that you can have like a. a if, if you are into politics and you understand policy, there is no way that family values would be at the top of your list of what a government should be doing but or I, interfering with. And I, I just, again, I just want to know what, because a lot, of, a huge percentage of voters would say that that mean, means something to them. So it's worthwhile understanding what they mean when they say that. Don't you think they just don't know? They don't know themselves. I think they're just probably very unsure, sheepish people. I'd imagine that a lot of them are Christians, and so they kind of just like because th- th- that would be like a, a big modesty, maybe in them. that's what they want. Modesty, yeah. I like in media coverage, media and in, in just the culture. No swears. Is that what? Fa- <laughs> Dude, I, think I don't know. I don't no know. Swearing. That's what I'm trying to figure out. I'm. I, I don't know. Maybe tougher restrictions on drugs and. Um, it might be that they're pro-life, but they don't necessarily want to say that because there's controversy associated with that. Whereas if you say family values... No sex before marriage. That sort of thing, yeah. But then what do you, you can live out those ideals. What do you want the government to do? Unless they actually want to make it illegal to, to do some of those things. Maybe that's all they want the government to do. If you believe in family values, all you want from the government is to make abortions illegal. But I don't know if it's really that. I think it's more to do with uh, culture, and they want to feel like the culture. I said this before, but that is, it's more that that's that's the primary goal for young people to start a family. Whereas for a lot of young people today, especially middle upper middle class people, they don't they might not even want to have a family, or if they do, it's like. <laughs> How long can we freeze these eggs? Yeah. <laughs> you know, what's her, what's her name? What's the use by day? Kirsten Gillibrand. Um, she was on one of the talk shows when she announced her run for president. And she was saying something like, oh, this issue is important to me as a young mum. And she's like 50. And she has, I'm pretty sure she has a kid. I'm not, I'm not uh, admonishing her for, for, for doing that. But, but young. Yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> young in the sense you're, you're a new mother, but... Dude, young mum is 16 to 20. After that, no. 
That's when you should be popping them out. I'd go, I'd go 22, uh, up to 22. In this day and age, you're, you're a young mum if you're a mum at 22. I mean, yeah, that was just a number I pulled out of my head. It was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah okay, 22, whatever. But like, there's, I, I, yeah, you're right. It's probably just a cultural thing, but it just again highlights the point that maybe that's all they got going for them. Should not be cultural because it can't it is, really it impact that. Yeah, but it, it, but it, but I think. The majority our, of people will vote, especially in this day and age, on on. Uh, on yeah, culture. they will. But but the thing is that, and that's always true. That's definitely true. Feeling attached to a tribe. So if a political party just says, "Yeah, we're for family values," you just you just suddenly get so many votes, without even without any actual policies necessarily. Maybe yeah. you know, uh, more restrictions on drug use or something. I assume that's some sort of a like a loose tie to family values because it's maybe loosely associated with social conservatism. I mean, you remember the party family first, right? They're still, are they still, they're still a party, aren't they? Yeah, but they haven't won anything in years. But there was a point where they were kind of like a balance of power in the Senate, was family first. Really? So it does get traction. Just the idea, like, and again, like you just ask them, what are your values? And there was nothing. Family values. It was nothing. There was, there was, I think that's another reason why they were, It's also because just micro parties are kind of just this roll of the dice every election. But one of the main reasons, I think, is that it was so utterly shallow. There is a reason that One Nation is consistent in attracting a vote. Or the Greens are consistent in attracting a vote. But if you're really... If you're shallow and you've got nothing really going for you... Like with Palmer United, it was just very obvious very quickly that he's just there to serve his own interests. And when it came to family first, it was just like... You, you like got one of those paintings in your... I'm sorry. But yeah. Family first above what? what what's second? Like well, what, what is, is second? Yeah. What, what do you mean you? family first? Like the interests... So, okay. They want to put the interests of uh, families first... That's fine, but at what point do the interests of families actually contradict <laughs> with the interests of other people? I don't know. Do you want more? I don't know if it's is it you know tax concessions for young families or something like that. I mean, I, I'm just still really confused as to what the the policy initiatives would be if a party runs on. I don't family think they would have thought of that. I think that maybe the liberals would just come in and say, "Yeah, yeah, we're going to give out a baby bonus," and they'll be like, "Yep, that sounds pretty pro-family." They just back that. But I don't think they're thinking about it that much. You know what that reminds me of, actually? It's like actually really infuriating thinking about what family values means for so long. It just reminds me of that classic analogy of just like, you can play chess with a pigeon, but the pigeon's just going to shit on the board and win. It's that. There's, there's There's no real thought happening here. It's still worthwhile understanding, trying to understand at least, even if it's an irrational thought process going on, what... What is going on there? Absolutely. What appeals? I know, but it's just infuriatingly them. shallow. It's one word. Sure. That's all that's going on in those voters' minds. And it's really scary in a democracy that you can win seats in the Senate based on a word you like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then again, I'm sure a lot of young people see them, you know, legalise weed. Oh, cool, I'll vote for that. I know, but that's... I hate these, like, stupid little micro-parties. They're a scourge on democracy. Yeah, they're a waste of a vote, and it is. It's not, I, I, it's not just the micro parties. A lot of the major parties will run on. Um, they'll say, you know, we care about families. We care about working. 
Working fam. That's a common one. Working families. Well, yeah, like what? As opposed to unemployed families. Like, what do you? What <laughs> every family is. I think they mean working class families, but they don't want to say that because that's divisive. So they say working families. Mm. But ninety. I assuming ninety nine percent of families are. Work, there's some sort of breadwinner there. Yeah, there'd be someone. Um, yeah, it's it's a doll. It's but a focus group. What are you like working families? What does that mean? It's what you said. Like, just, it definitely means working mean class. They just don't. No, it's not even that. It's not even the fact that it's divisive. It's just the fact that they don't want people in their minds thinking like, oh, "I'm working." No, because like a lot of people that are poor will think that they're like richer than what they are. So they'll just be like, "I'm not working class." So yeah, when they so are they say working, working class, so they say working. As to working class. Yeah, so sure. working makes more sense to me if you say you're a working family and we have these incentives for you. But because yeah. at that point, when they're saying that, usually that is backed up by some substantive policy. Yes, that's true. But then again, the the those policies, I they're not in any sort of contradiction to policies that could potentially benefit single working people too mm. i mean unless it's specifically here are some sort of uh grants or tax incentives for people with a family only yeah and then that's just... almost not like why well because you got a bait no look fair enough like you want to try to give uh you want to support the babies and youth as much as possible i understand that but still i don't think a lot of these pol- like any of these kind of values are in any sort of contradiction they're not, it's not as though single people or the elderly or people who are not part of this family group have some sort of values that are different. You know, I think they'd still value young children and making sure they get a good education and making sure that parents are able to support them. So if there is some financial relief there, we'll give it to them. But it's just, it, I don't know. Anyway, at the, at the end of the day, I just, every time I hear it, I'm just, yeah, what, it, what does it mean? Because well, yeah, <laughs> it's a shallow, cynical peel of a certain demographic that, in their head, they prioritize families a lot. Because even if you are part of a family, that's their well. A lot of value comes from being a family. I'm a family man. I'm a mother. Now, when I'm, it, it comes down to an, an, it's quite emotional in the end. It's yeah, we want our identity to uh, to be respected. Exactly. And it's just like, yeah, do you see yourself as a family man or not? Yeah. Because, like, yeah, I, I know for a fact, like, my dad wouldn't ever see himself as, like, a family man. He technically has a family. But <laughs> right. <laughs> it's right. Not, he's not going to go in the polling booths and just be like, yeah, that's the party for me. He'd be much more likely to vote for, like, the legalized weed party than the, the family party. Yeah. That's higher up on his list of priorities. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's exactly okay. what you're saying. It's just a value list at that point. And it's like a very subjective value list as well as to what like so, family means. The more it's general, so the better. Yeah. It's so powerful. It's one of the words. It's one of those it's powerful just... words that can get it. Yeah. Okay. What else do I have? Um, well, then I had traditional values, but that, I mean, that's kind of... The... Mm, that's a bit different. People say, oh, you know... I've, Traditional I've is like the good old days. days. Yeah, I mean, are they talking about more religious values or are they talking about things like your white Australia policy and uh, that kind of nationalism? 
what do you think most people if when people say I like traditional values, I think it's mostly social conservatism. So it's very interlinked with family values. It's people who uh, don't like the current hookup culture and pop culture mm. and the 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 hedonism depicted in the media. So they want to return to a time that was uh, more defined by purity and mm. um, yeah, that kind of yeah moral purity. Yeah, but that's they're looking at moral purity. There's definitely that element of they're looking at families. But you know what I think it is? It's just that the people that are voting on families, they're thinking about it just from that angle. If you're voting from on traditional values, you would see the family as an institution. Yeah. So they're looking at it as a, like a point of. It's like a very loose definition of what institutions are, but I think like, you know, like exactly what you were saying, they'd be looking at all of these cultural aspects as institutions. So it's a, it's one up from family values. Yeah. It, there's some it's a broader outlook. There's something a little bit to... Sure. There's a broader outlook and you can hang your hat on it a bit more because you can say... I don't know. Like, yeah, you could just be like, I don't know. Was it? Like the flag... Uh, has been there all the time, and that's tradition, so we're sticking with the flag. That would be one of their points. So there's a, a very loose... There's, there's, yeah, you're right. It's culture, but there's a. It's, it's more interlinked in like a governmental process, I guess. The, the cultural, national, and ethical identity that they held in high regard has, has been taken away in their mind. Yeah. You say that? Yeah, yeah. So They'd be very scared that. of that. Yeah. Well, this is actually... I the... don't know where their place is in the world. Yeah. This is why... Um... And again... Or they could just be, again, because uh, a lot of those topics, specific topics, can bring about a lot of controversy. They might just be anti-gay marriage, anti-abortion, these sorts of things anti-immigration so then they'll they'll just say oh i like traditional values rather than specifically saying those things because they know they'll get heat for it mm. yeah they just they always just go to that back to that phrase of like if it's not broken don't fix it i think that i remember reading a study years ago that was basically saying that As always, just have to use the proviso, don't like the phrases liberal and conservative or whatever, but I'll, I'll make an exception in this case. Conservatism, people that identify, because it's all about identity, right? Yep. People that identify themselves as conservative and people that identify themselves as liberal. Um, the people that identified themselves as liberal, they saw that the part of their brain that deals with ambiguity was a lot more active and the part of the brain that deals with fear was a lot more active in conservatives. So it basically just boils down to this. People that are conservative or like traditionalists or whatever are always just saying like, I want to keep things as they are because what if the alternative is worse? Whereas people that are liberal like the grey area and nuances of life. They, this is why, like, a lot of, uh, you know, liberal talk shows 
are humorous in nature. It's because those people deal with ambiguity and you can't have ambiguity with fear, which is why a lot of conservative talk shows are always your Bill O'Reilly's, your Tucker Carlson's, your Sean Hannity's and stuff. They're very down the line. And it's, it's, it's a very... Never funny. It's a very fear-inducing show, you know? But... Yeah, with ambiguity, it always just needs to be cushioned constantly with joke work to keep people's attention. That would be like the, the basic difference of it. So people that are you know more capable of dealing with ambiguity are more likely to be dealing a, a more a cooler with change. They like the idea of change. They will see that as exciting, whereas people that don't like the idea of change obviously are going to be more fearful and they're more likely to identify themselves as conservative or traditionalist. Yeah. So yeah, and everyone, I, everyone would have elements of both if things are changing and progressing too far. Even yeah, self-professed liberals right? would eventually, the fear mechanism would kick in. Which is another reason why I'm always saying it is such a stupid thing to label yourself as one of those you know political viewpoints because you can push the envelope far enough that you will find that you will not be liberal on something, as you just said, yeah. right? Or like exactly the same with conservatives. And you will find contradictions in them saying it anyway, of them just being like, I'm oh, just really tolerant and shit. And then people are like always on Twitter just being smug and just being like, and then you blocked that person because they had a different perspective. And because of that but label, then, you're then more likely to look past hypocrite. certain things that you might personally disagree with, but because you want to maintain the label yeah we'll say well that comes with the label yeah yeah it's like well it's similar to religion in a way yeah it might be things that you personally disagree with ethically but because you want to maintain the label of i am a christian you accept it all god that is a really scary thought i know look, i know that we explore that topic a lot but i think that it does need to be explored because that has to be one of the scariest Religion. things about the brain. Not just that, just the fact that, like, you put an idea in your head for whatever reason, and then just because it's there, you irrationally and staunchly defend it. Yeah. Well, be it's really scary. And, like, I'm not saying. That bias. I, yeah, exactly. The confirmation bias thing is scary. Yeah. And, like, I'm not saying that I'm above it. I, I there will be millions of Without examples of it. Yeah. It just it freaks me out. Sorry, but. Yeah, I, I think that's what's going on in this traditional mind. I will pay this. Like, if you're talking about meaningless labels, I think, man, family values is lower on the rung than traditional. Okay, fair enough. This is bad. This is a well, traditional list of yeah. stupid Look, labels. Tra traditional values is much broader, and it's, it's, it makes more sense to me because you're just talking about something in the past. You want to return to something. Or you want to keep things as they are. Yeah. Whereas family values, it's just so vague. So vague. And what if you are a like? What if you are a hippie family, and you want to give your kids weed at ten and let them have sex at twelve or whatever? That's still the values of your family. So technically, still family values. <laughs> like any any values uh, of any family out there would still come under the banner of they're a family. They have values. So <laughs> yeah, it's just so vague. Oh man, and I did. Yeah, if you identify yourself in such vague terms, you can just uh, like you morph anything into it that you want. Yeah, exactly. Like, it just basically comes down to what you personally do and don't like, and that's family from then on. Yeah, okay, so the next one. We, we talked about this in the Australian Culture Podcast. I am still not sure what 
mateship is. <laughs> I can't ever <laughs> admit to that as an Aussie. But no, what I mean by that is why is it different to friendship? <laughs> what is the difference? I don't think there is. I think it's just the vernacular. And and then in that podcast, did you see there was quite a lot of comments when I posted that highlight saying mateship is sticking out, like, um, you know, sticking up for your mates, caring about your mates. Isn't that friendship? When they're down, uh, thinking about them. But it's just a sense of community as well. So I think that's just the term we use to describe um, a community spirit, empathy towards others. But you're right. Equ- you can, it's you can, equality in a way it. because it's you could you could make the argument that it implies okay if one uh, if one mate is falling behind we all try to hold him up, which is what you do in a real almost sporting team in, in an almost sport sport team mindset. You're only as strong as your weakest player. That yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. You're right, though, that it could just very easily be interchanged with friendship. But the fact that we do use it and we have a very special word for it shows that it's kind of instilled in the psyche. And you know what I think it is? It's really trying to hang your hat on some kind of identity to Australia, which is forged, yeah. stupidly, I think, with World War One. It should have been forged with World War Two. It should have been about Kokoda because that was defending Australia. World War One was just cannon fodder for the British. It was a very stupid thing to just be like, yeah, that's mateship, all right. Helping your mate over the front line to get mowed down by the Turkish. That was, <laughs> it's stupid. Do, 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 but do you think uh, because it was such a intense and heart-wrenching event, um, a, a national spirit was born out of that? Even if the even if the actual the the intention behind it wasn't necessarily to do specifically yeah, defend Australia. That's true. You can focus on that angle of it. And because, you know, I think everybody agrees that, Jesus, Gallipoli was so brutal. Well, just, just yeah, World War I, I mean, they in were just They were just lambs to the slaughter. Yeah, it's it was it was horrible. Pretty dark. So I suppose you can you can make that point there that that spirit it's of the Anzacs as was well. built there. True. Look, if we were born 100 years ago, that would have been us. And, we, and you know what else is really scary as well? This is why I'm always thinking about that. We would have thought it was mad until our guts were splaying on the floor on a foreign beach. We would have been really excited to go. <laughs> it's dark. I know. Dark times. But I think that that's the reason that if you're going to do it on Australian values and mateship, Kokoda and Papua New Guinea, it wasn't as... It wasn't as bleak because it wasn't just like running over a line and basically marching to a machine gun shooting at you. But it was still horrifying. We won that. Um, it was it was actually defending Australia. There's a lot. It, it, it had all the elements of mateship to it. You can't you can't necessarily. Uh, in hindsight, you can say that might have been a more appropriate situation where the national spirit came from but if it came from Gallipoli that it, it just came from there it just would have just organically developed there. it just came from there like I, I think you're right okay if you're just going to look at it on the very personal level maybe that is why mateship means something different in Australia to friendship maybe that is why we st- 
that was the that was the first separation from Britain because we started to say, well, hang on, these Brits were just sending us as uh, as sacrificial lambs. So let's forge our own identity. I don't know. I'm just. I'm thinking that theorizing. No, but it is true that that was that was the breaking point. That was the tipping point. But it was back in Australia. I was just reading about this recently. Actually, it was. Which would that have been King George, back then? (sighs) No, probably his father, wasn't it? No, I'm going to say it was King George. Because there was Victoria, then there was two, then there was Elizabeth, wasn't there? Mm. I don't know. <laughs> I should. Me too. I don't know. Not really. I shouldn't. I shouldn't have to. Yeah. Why? Fuck what they did to India. Fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> Give back the the crown for the Taj Mahal. What that jewel? Yeah, they're just keeping it <laughs> at, the, at the British Museum. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> just. Um. Yeah, no, it was like when they came back here, it was such a good point was that Australia was in massive... It was after the Great Depression, during the Great Depression. It was because Australia was in so much debt as a result of World War One because we had to buy cannons and equipment off the British to suit up our own people to go to Jeez. fight their war and die. And then after that, they were just like, are you going to pay back the bill? <laughs> Don't Welsh on your debt. So... Jack Lang, who was the Premier of New South Wales at the time, which was basically the Prime Minister, because back then the Prime Minister, it was such an early office that, you know, the Premiers really held the power. There were, the first Prime Minister was um, in 1901, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So there was Prime Ministers, but they didn't have the power. All they had really was like control of the army and I think like communications. There was was very few ministry cabinet positions. Most of the stuff was done by the States. Okay. And yeah, Jack Lang was so boss who's actually Paul Keating's um, mentor. Jack Lang is his protege. He's such a boss of history. Basically, How he just said to the British... Huh? Paul Keating must be old. 70s. I think he's a bit younger than Bernie Sanders. Oh, okay. But he's around that age. But it's, it's amazing because you see that because his protege was people like Sir Henry Parks and Edmund Barton. He knew all of those people. So you've got that nice little connection throughout history there. But... He basically said to the British, fuck off, we're not paying you your money for, like, like our people are starving here. And could they, were they legally in their rights to do that? Because weren't we still a colony? Aren't we still to this day a colony of the Commonwealth? Well, this is the whole thing, and this is the whole triggering of power because he was the first person that was dismissed from office. Everyone always says that it was Gough Whitlam. But he was the the governor because, you know, like in premier states, you have a governor and then you have the premier. The governor went and sacked Jack Lang as a result of him standing up to the British and saying, no, we're not going to pay it back. So it's this thing of like it was in his constitutional rights to do it, in fact, because throughout the entire he was arguing off the premise that the entire British Empire had signed a law. I think a hundred years before that, saying that slavery was illegal throughout the entire British Empire, and he was arguing that if you make us pay back these debts, then the entire public sector will be having to work for no money at all, which is slavery. Therefore, I'm not paying it back. So he was in his legal right to do it, and in fact, the courts at the time favoured in his favour. They said, "Yeah, that's that's correct," but then the British just came in and was just like, "No." Nah. <laughs> so well, if, that had, like, if that had gone in a, a different way, could there have been a 
a war of independence or something like that in the same way there was, was with America? It was very close. Really? It was the closest Australia ever went to a civil war because the cops oh, went really? to Jack Lane. Mm, they didn't teach me this. Exactly. They didn't teach history. you anything fun. They didn't teach you they anything teach good. Me. They didn't teach me this. It's pathetic. But like he was saying... Maybe about Gallipoli, but I didn't know about this. Yeah, but and then all you learn from that is like, mate, it was tough. There was a lot of mud there and their backpacks were heavy. Also, they were getting shot at. <laughs> but um, he was saying... Like, because the army was depleted and early in its infancy after World War One, But the army was just saying to the prime minister at the time, we'll back you. And the cops who were getting their salary off of Jack Lang and he, they saw that Jack Lang was actually fighting for them. Um, they were just saying, no, we'll side with you. So it would have been cops versus the military. And back then that would have been a Damn. very fair fight. So it, it, it would have turned into a civil war. In fact... He was thinking of turning it into a civil oh, war. Oh, so it wouldn't have been an, a, a war of independence. It would have just been a civil war within Australia. Well, it could have very easily have led to independence if Jack Lang won. And he was actually at that position where the Governor-General was saying, like, he was basically saying, change your tone, otherwise we're going to sack you. And he was just like, no, I'm right. And, you know, like, his, his big thing in history actually was... He's kind of like a Mussolini figure, actually. He was... He, I'll tell you that in a sec, actually. But, yeah... That's what happened. He was actually contemplating with his cabinet, do we just send the police force in and then arrest the governor for being unconstitutional? Because it was all just... The constitution is murky, right? So it doesn't... You don't really know what happens in that case. So they could just easily just use brute force, arrested him, said to the federal parliament at the time, no, fuck you, like, we're going to war. But... He just was just like, nah, it's not worth the people dying, and then just stepped in. Wow, because that's what everyone says when they learn about Australian history. It was boring, nothing happened. But if that happened, if that had, if those events had played out... No, this is the whole thing. History actually of... in every country is very interesting. It's just they teach you a sanitised official version of it because the reality of power is a lot scarier. <laughs> it's a lot more murky, yeah, you know? Sure. And, and so they they... Censor all that stuff out because, again, it just proves the same thing as what Whitlam's dismissal proved, which is that at the end of the day, there are empires that control the world. And at the time, that was the British Empire, and they had final say. They decide who's in charge and who isn't. Mm. But, um, yeah, when he was dismissed, this was insane. I was thinking about this the other day. The population of Sydney was a million at the time. 400,000 people came out onto the streets and marched for Jack Lang. So nearly half of Sydney came out and marched when he was sacked. It was huge. Like, you could not get out 400,000 people for, like, anything now. Let alone, like, a figure. He was, I don't know. I feel really... Me too. Bad, but I don't know about this. I know. He's, he's an incredible... He was the only impressive founding forefather of Australia. He, again, was the one that had a backbone that was like, I care about this country. I'm not, I'm not here for a title. I'm not here just to have tea with the king. I care about the people of Australia. He was one of those characters. What and happened he was to tough. him in the end? So he, he was forced to retire, was he? And then he just left public office? He was sacked. He... Because he had a clinch hold on the Labor Party because he was just such a personality cult. He was the closest thing Australia ever had to, like, a Mussolini figure or one of those, like, real strong men mm. of the 20th century especially. But, you know, those kind of Trumpian figures that are just, like, bigger than their party. They're yeah. Jack Lang. Sure. Like, people used to march on the street with his face. No one marches on the street with, like, you know, John Howard's face or Bill Shorten's face anymore. 
It was him. He was the man. I've heard of Jack Lang. I have actually. Yeah? The name is familiar. That's good to know. I'm at least glad that he's... Because I really feel like there's been a concerted effort to wipe him from history. And, and that's a real shame because he should be regarded as Australia's founding forefathers. The, the, the rest of the ones that founded... Sir Henry Parks was definitely up there, but most of them were kind of just going through the motions of being a backwater of the British Empire. Sure, yeah, I know all the explorers. Exactly. Well, I mean, that's pretty boss. Like, going across yeah. the Simpson Desert is mad. From all the houses we had in primary school, Banks, Philip. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, Bass. That's how I remember them. Bass. But now they've changed them all to all, like... You know, non-white men, non-colonial. Now, fuck that! Come on, <laughs> can we at least just acknowledge that traveling across the Simpson Desert is like noteworthy? Did like I mean, look, be, yeah. we don't know because but we don't then have again, the records. But, but then the argument against that would be, I'm sure the uh, indigenous people did that. Did they though? The That's the thing. I don't think oh, they well, did. Yeah, like, look, I don't did know. Did they go from Perth to Sydney? <laughs> it's an accomplishment, man. Sure, some of them might have. I think that they just stayed within their own territory. I think they did. Like, there's impressive things about Aboriginal people. I think I was telling you this before. This is the thing that I'm most impressed by. It just shows that human beings are. There is kind of a psychic connection there. They, Aboriginal elders would get this sense, particularly the ones in the desert, that they needed to go talk to other tribes of Aboriginal elders at the same time, and then they just walk for days, weeks, months to a location in the desert and both of them would just so happen to be there at the time. Wow. Yeah, it's impressive. Was a, it was a lot more than they weren't Sorry. I think the 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 traditional knowledge is that they they were essentially a collection of hunter-gatherer tribes, but there was a lot more of a intermingling of the societies that um, existed from what I've recently heard. Yeah, and I, they had a very very um, strong knowledge of the environment. And the certain crops and plants that could grow in the very arid conditions of Australia. Oh yeah, man! Like it's okay. First of all, their the, the agricultural systems were a lot more complex than we originally gave them credit for. This has all yeah. just been found in like the last few years. But the other thing is that yes, they are the only people on Earth to have ever enhanced the environment. Yeah, I've, that's what I've after killing out all the major marsupials. But they they yeah, all the giant ways. kangaroos and yeah. the giant wombats. They're all gone. Yeah, but then again, so the woolly mammoths, humans did that. There's a, that's a, all that's why we're the apex predator because we kill all the big ones. I know. I'm so, so sad about it, and apparently all the little ones as well. Just those like little miniature people on Flora's Island or whatever. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah, the the pygmies or whatever. Teeny little ape men. That would have been we cool. killed them all. I know. Damn. Killed the Neanderthals. <laughs> so we killed. Well, we either killed them or we just bred them out. And the Homo erectus, there were there were six um, hominid species at once no. in our history, well, and then, no. and now there's just Homo sapiens. So we are uh, uh, either just we 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 committed the original genocide. It's true. They could have all been in zoos. Yeah, we are. Uh, we. <laughs> but dude, if they that's were our alive history. today, they that's would all be we in ever zoos. do. We just geno- we just genocide each other. Yeah, it's not really. Not really a verb, is it? We ge- yeah, I, I just genocided you, bro. Can we it's make? A, can we popularize that? Verb. Yeah, it is huge. Someone destroyed someone, bro. I just genocided, genocided. you, <laughs> um, All right, what else? I didn't have. Oh well, like toxic masculinity. I don't know what that means. I it's are, again, like whatever they think. Yeah, is like bad. are you talking about all of masculinity as a, as b- certain behaviors? 
all of that is toxic or is there a conception of masculinity that is toxic which i would then agree with to a certain extent but i was talking to a a girl about this a few months ago and and then i i asked her, i'm like all right well what how do you define masculinity and she said male behavior <laughs> but that's not that's that's so broad Again, it's just like a specific buzzword. parts of male behavior or specific. Yeah, that's that's the thing. It doesn't mean anything. No, it would have been something that somebody at university came up with, basically for more grant funding, and it, it just would have uh, found the perfect breeding ground there, and then it would have been popularized through your junkies and your and your Huffington Posts, and. I think that when it comes to that point, like all of these words, which is why I hate all of those political labels, because they are, by definition and design, a propagandic tool. They're buzzwords. They are buzzwords that are popularized and they're a propagandic tool that you can kind of just like, you know, get the general population or a sector of the population to say like, ooh, that's a bad word. Yeah, a social taboo becomes associated with that particular word. So if you say, yeah, I'm against toxic masculinity, that then informs people about where your supposed ethics lie yeah and you want to and you don't want to get labeled as that if you want to remain part of that tribe sure so it becomes like a word of control you want to erase sexism so that's and it's like it your down. point about the identity thing it's like if you say to me you have toxic masculinity i will get on with my day it will not it won't ruin me hearing that, like, you know, you're toxic or whatever. Because I'm just, I don't buy into that culture. But I want to know what, if someone said that to me, I just would, I want to know what that means. Be specific. Yeah, exactly. So they, okay, yeah, they I have toxic mess. What do you, what, what define that? You know what they mean by that? They just mean, I don't like you. <laughs> That's all they <laughs> Pretty mean. Pretty much, yeah. And so, like, they're part of, like, a gross little new town bubble. So the only people that they do like are, Basically, those kind of like flubby asexual men that work in bullshit jobs in Surrey Hills. That's their version of a man that isn't toxic. Kind of just a, a blob of a man. They like blobs. They can try to convince themselves that they're attracted to them, but they're not. Yeah. Ultimately. Well, who is? This is like the thing. it's the thing is they're non-threatening, and so like that's, that's yeah, threatening, threatening. That's what okay. That's probably to. what they mean by it. So basically, when they're saying that, that you have toxic masculinity. They're saying they don't feel comfortable around you. That's pretty much what they're saying. Yeah. So if you're talking about masculine behavioral traits, um, there can be a spectrum of, of, of the, the positive conception versus the negative conception. So something like confidence uh, and assertiveness versus dominance and tyranny. So if you say that conception of the masculine behavior is toxic, I would then in some instance, instances agree with that. So I think confidence and assertiveness can be a good thing when it's needed. Um, however, yeah, dominance, tyranny, um, abuses of power, if you're associating that with masculinity, then I would agree that's a toxic uh, manifestation of masculine ideals. So if, it, if, if they can define it to me like that, I would say, all right, I agree with you, but they never can. They're just, <laughs> they're just like, it's just male behavior. Well, what, the, what do you mean? Tell me what you mean by that. I think <laughs> it's a buzz. It's it's a it's a, a, a it's a way to like signal I'm part of this tribe and these are the values I 
these are the people I want to bring down more than anything. And again, a very your point of just being like a very self-absorbed look at life because that is not going to hurt most men's feelings. It's it's a very small blobby group of men <laughs> that are going to be hurt by that. Blobby. It is. That's a good. That's a good uh, word to describe. Th- that's them. It? Blobby. Um, <laughs> they they also. I think the other thing about it is that. It, it also just came at a time in the propaganda model around Hillary Clinton's election of just weaponizing gender. And it just became this underlying dog whistle. Just like how there's like racial dog whistles or yeah, conservative yeah. dog whistles or whatever. There was, a, there was a dog whistle to that sect of society that women are great and men are scum. And so that's really what that is. It's... It's it's a it's a it's a little way of just being like I don't mean all men I just mean like there's toxic elements of men but what are toxic elements is that chick explained when you push her even slightly all men that's <laughs> that's the way that those I mean people yeah look think. I just don't I I'll be open to if someone can explain it to me in a way that makes sense but you maybe I'd be agree, able to because but... it's, yeah it's it's it would be like an academic coming up with it it catching popularity that academic if you ask them about it they would have very wishy-washy answers because they shouldn't be in the field of academia to begin with. Academia is about like precise outcomes and, and really identifying something specifically. But there is a whole sect now that just exists basically by like hiding words in a bunch of, mm. you know, like uh, jargon in that little culture to, you know, continue Sociology. to get grants within each other. Yeah, that, that kind of stuff. Okay. But anyway, sorry, yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, those were the... Oh, the last one was... Uh, so, just ideas about freedom. So, when a lot, particularly with the American conservatives, they'll say things like, we care about freedom, we care about liberty. Oh, the government doesn't care about us. Well, you can't... Those, as far as my understanding goes, I'm not a political expert here, but you can't... What do you want? you want the government to care about you or do you want liberty and freedom? Mm. Yeah. They're exclusive. Yeah. So if you're talking about, um, you hear that from a lot of rural people as well in Australia. Oh, the government, they don't care about us anymore. They're, we're the forgotten people. But then, well, what do you, do, then you've got to give up freedom. If you want the government to come and help you, freedom, yeah, there's that rosy side of freedom where you can do what you want, but there's a huge amount of responsibility that comes with that. Like if you want the freedom to, for the government to not provide you with essential services, then there's a huge responsibility on you. You have to then be organized and um, competent enough to take care of all your insurances, to to pay all the bills, to organize all of it and, and, and go through the minefield of, of the free market. So you can't... I, I just think a lot of people don't actually understand what they're saying when they say freedom. <laughs> like what what... What do you do? You want true freedom because there's a huge responsibility that comes with that. I think what they think is freedom is the ability to say things without being called a racist. (laughs) I I, I genuinely think that's what. I agree, but then again, you gotta, you gotta. I draw the line if the government is coming after you and putting speech codes in and laws about hate speech yeah like i'd be a conservative on that particular issue i don't think there should basically be hardly any of that 
very minor regulation there. But if other people are just calling you a racist, that's that's not an attack on freedom of speech. That's just someone else using their freedom of speech mm. to call you a racist. It's the whole thing. Is they don't. I just. They don't. They just say these words. Exactly. It's like, do you know what it means? Yeah. Anyway, no, they don't think yeah, about like, it. I no, I, I, man, you, you're, you're really on the money on this one, and it, it really highlights the hypocrisy of people when these, because again, these people don't think. It's just the propaganda that they've been brought into. That's the way that they think about it, and that all just comes from the Koch brothers. All of this thing of just being, I'm a libertarian. I believe in freedom over everything else, and then you know, and as soon as the Koch brothers' profits are like. Uh, you know, in jeopardy of like, I don't know, renewables or something like that, instantly they want regulation. So it's always the same thing. The people that are always saying, yeah. I believe in freedom, every time you will see counterexamples of it. I mean, Clive Palmer with me, for instance, just saying that like, I believe in free speech. Soon as I attack him, he tries to shut me up by suing me. Like these things, when you're just talking about broad, murky things of I have this principle in life, that's why I reckon that like, you should never even say, I believe in this or I do this because one day you will be a hypocrite. One day you're going to be inconsistent. So just say like, at the very least, I aim for this. Yeah. You shouldn't ever like give yourself that that. absolutist general term. You're going to make a fool of yourself. Yeah. Something like freedom. I mean, well... That's the whole thing. Like, actually, freedom, I'm if you a- want freedom from financial stress, then there's an argument to say that there, there there should be more financial support from the government. But if you're talking about just freedom from government intervention, then that comes with a lot more responsibility on you as the individual. Yeah. And they don't understand. Look, I if if there are conservatives that actually understand that and support that, I have a lot more respect for them. But it, they flip flop all the time. Exactly because. There's nothing because they are propagandists. They're not thinking about that. They're just trying to put something, some idea into people's minds to stop them from thinking, and just to like shroud everything and just like you believe in freedom, don't you? Good. That's all you need to think about on that. Just move on to the next subject. That's that's the that's the design of the freedom thing. It's a particularly insidious one, and you'll see it like with the video that I just released with Sat Yajit. <laughs> First of all, he denied. Uh, working for the Koch brothers. Now he has actually moved to Washington, D.C. and works for a Koch brother think tank. And now he refers to himself as part of the liberty movement. He's he's identifying himself as just like, no, no, I don't work for the Koch brothers. I don't just shill their shit. No, no, I just believe strongly in freedom. Okay, so why are you against renewables? Um, Because they're hurting Koch brother profits. It's always the same thing. Or like the IPA here, just doing a story about them. Huh? And then the the big one that uh, where conservatives are not consistent is the regulation of um, social media. If you yeah, believe they in freedom, always want it. Yeah. Then you can't regulate a comp a private no, company. No, no, that's their right to fucking censor you. Yeah, that's and I their free speech. I am conservative <laughs> on that. I don't think they should be regulated. I'm like the because <laughs> <laughs> I'm the lone hero here, bro. No, well, look, they have the right to do that if they want to. Um, take down certain videos if they want to do anything. Maybe there can be some regulation about transparency and for them to come out and say, hey, we're this big social media company with these this particular ideological view. But you can't... You, if you believe in freedom, you can't also believe in the regulation of tech companies. Yeah, exactly. 
you, just there, you've made a fool of yourself. So why say it? Why, why yeah, identify just, yourself it's, it's as a, that? It's, it's a, just a, like a word. Like, all of these things that I've said. That's this the whole is thing that's like infuriating about, about politics. Yeah. They don't, they don't mean don't anything. Under, you they, talk they, about it, policy, that's they it. They can. Look, if you... If you it, something like liberty and freedom, they... they if you are consistent, they can mean something. But you have to be consistent. Exactly. That's the big thing. And, like, I, I just think that, like, as a human being, and on, on top of that, life changes all the time. So, like, why? What, like, you, you are going to come across... Dude, again, like, yeah, the IPA recently, I'm, I'm going after them. It's another, like, bullshit think tank in... in uh, again, like, the same stupid shit of just being like, I believe in freedom. That's why I believe that, you know, we shouldn't tax cigarette companies. It's like, okay, well, you're clearly paid by cigarette companies, but let's just assume that you're, like, okay, on the level. But then, but then are you also then saying small businesses don't get taxed? Yeah. That's the consistency. That's where the and, consistency seems to lack. And then the other thing is, like, you know... Just be lacking. Like, then they go on to attack unions for taking too much money from, like, public works projects or something like that. And it's just like, dude... You just said you believe in free, like personal economic freedom. It is their right to join a union. That's their free choice. They decided to join a union. They decided to collectively bargain as a collective and say, we're worth this. You have to pay us this. So you don't respect that freedom. You just pick and choose when you want fucking freedom. And it just so happens that every time the freedom that you want is freedom for huge companies that pay for you. That's it. Not the, anything else like as soon as as soon as there's any I think that that's always like the same thing that we're always talking about with politics it's just like just follow the money like all, everything else is just commentary after that it's like what are you actually advocating that's it mm. it's I think that that's like what you're really getting to on this freedom I, I don't know sorry at the moment I'm really angry at the freedom <laughs> idea that's so good like I uh, I think it can uh, be a consistent and meaningful idea but is it though but it, it it's not a lot of the people who claim to be f in favor of it just don't seem to be consistent yeah they're not because this is the other thing i think that you now that i'm thinking about it i don't think you can be f consistent on freedom my understanding of it is that it, it's just it's very small government but that's not freedom because there's still a government there there's still a government telling you what to do. So for there to be freedom, it would have to be a completely anarchic society Pure where there's freedom. like well, no yeah. institutions. So you're the ex if, if you believe in freedom, you are the exact opposite of a traditionalist. Well, maybe they want they. I think it's more pragmatic freedom. So it's as limited a state that it's. But then again, then you, you're right. Then it gets to, into an idea of well, yeah, what's, you can't really define the word as that. Uh, anyway, I'm getting. But yeah, that's it's true. You. No, but you're right. Like, dude, where do you go from? Like, then it's just like, well, you know, pr pragmatic freedom. Where's the limit there? When you're talking about traditionalism or something like that, I, I at least see something that you can actually hold your hat on and be consistent with, which is just like, I want society to be exactly the same as it is for all eternity. I mean there's things there that already exist so you can kind of just keep them going 
until sure. they kind of just naturally run out from like an asteroid or climate change or whatever. But do you think a consistent idea of, of uh, freedom would be uh, to a- allow markets to decide most things, but most uh, where the resources go? Yeah, that would be. But again, to have a purely free market. I think, no, I think it's even like a paradox then at that point, because if you have a purely free market, what happens is someone gets a monopoly and the person that runs that monopoly is by default, essentially a government at that point. They're deciding where the resources are getting allocated. They're deciding what gets built. They're deciding who gets paid. Yeah, but uh, I guess the counter argument to that would be if it's a natural monopoly, so if they're just that much more efficient than all the other firms. So like, yeah, they just deserve that power. Okay, so at that point, what you would have to do to have a completely free society is completely dismantle it. Like, you know, you don't just dismantle the government. You'd have to dismantle every bank, every church, every institution there is, every petrol station, every school, everything. Anything that can accumulate resources, it's gone. Why would you have to dismantle um, private enterprises like banks and things? Because that would be... That's not a natural monopoly. Like, you know, NAB, Commonwealth... Because they get handouts. They get handouts. Like, they've had hundreds of years of handouts. Yeah, yeah, and that's the other thing. That's That's a huge head start. That's not for... That's yet... Technically, that's not... That's not freedom. Exactly. So you'd have to, like... you, You would have to basically bring everyone into the Stone Age again and be like, start there. And then, and then we'll see Pretty who much. gets like a natural monopoly from that point. It's impossible. Yeah. You couldn't... It's an insane thought. Like, have extreme freedom. Or maybe not dismantle all the current uh, institutions, but stop giving them... Stop with the handouts. But they're already there. They're already powerful at that point. So... Oh, they've so they've achieved the that, money. and now they have an advantage. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's a good like point. If you, like, if you're the Commonwealth Bank and, like, the Big Four or whatever, and they have a, I don't know, 60% share or whatever they have, and they're just four banks that have 60% of the customers to themselves. Yeah, they've already got a huge advantage You've got it, there, you've yeah. got it there. And it's like, like uh, do they have the best new colony, products? New colony on Mars. Yeah, <laughs> that might... You could do it there, limiting. maybe. But even then, from the very beginning... Some company or some government is going to be like, we're putting that there, you follow our rules. So that's not freedom. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, well, anyway, I just think that's (laughs) another part of another word on the list that are just these vague ideas that people attach themselves to. Yeah. And when you press them on these, they might not actually know what they mean. (laughs) (laughs) Because I don't. Anyway, um, good chat. Yeah, that was interesting, man. It's... uh, talk again soon thanks for watching see you guys